All right. Well, tomorrow is the last day in November. Can you believe it? It's like, where has this year gone? To think that tomorrow is the end of the 11th month of the year is incredible. But also recognize that as tomorrow is the end of November, it will be November 30th. I don't think you have to be a math major like Josh, who just left the room, or Kayla, who's back here, to figure out that we have 26 days remaining until Christmas. That's even harder to believe that Christmas is nearly here. Now, as I calculate that and think that that's pretty close to Christmas, I also realize that gives us, together as a church family, four Sundays to prepare our hearts for the best birth ever into this world of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the birth of the only Son of God who came not to be served, but to save and to be a ransom for many. He is the birth of the only one to ever be perfect. Now, a lot of us may think we're perfect in certain ways, but this Son, the Son of God, is the only one ever to be perfect without blemish, who knew no sin, but yet took all of our sin. Jesus was perfect in every possible way. And the message we have today emphasizes this truth. So we read from today Hebrews chapter 12. In the New American Standard, it is labeled as Jesus the Example. So we borrowed those words today to be able to put a title to the message. And we look into the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12 and find out that, yes, Jesus is the example. It's completely accurate to have a title for Jesus. He is the example for us in every possible way, in servanthood, in humility, in sacrifice, in submission to the will of the Father, in sinlessness, and in everything. He is the example for all of us to follow. So then let us recognize that we are blessed, very blessed. Coming off Thanksgiving, we know we're blessed. But today we recognize that we're blessed to have a Savior that is perfect in every possible way, who was born this season into a very imperfect world. The text today again is in Hebrews chapter 12. And the truth we reveal today prepares our hearts for the next four weeks to celebrate and anticipate the birth of a king. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Stand with me this morning, if you're able to, as we look at only three verses, a very short reading, but a very rich and powerful text. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not go weary or faint-hearted. Father, Lord, we thank you for this day and for all the blessings you give to us before a very good Thanksgiving, Lord, that you put upon all of us. We're grateful. We recognize how blessed we are. Lord, today we turn our attention then to your son and how blessed we are to have such a perfect, wonderful, giving Savior who gave his one, his only life for us, Lord. So today we ponder and we 
look upon this truth. And we look even further today, Lord, into how Jesus is an example for every one of us. And we desire here today, Lord, to prepare our hearts for the most special, precious birth given to this world. So lead and guide and direct us here this morning, Lord, for what you shall want us to hear. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not sure how many of you may recognize the name Erwin Lutzer, but Erwin Lutzer is the pastor at the Moody Church in Chicago, and he has a daily broadcast that sometimes is on the Bot Radio Network or Thy Word Network or sometimes the app One Place. But he starts every daily broadcast that he has on any means that you may listen with a big portion of what we read today in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Every broadcast that you may ever listen to, which is called Running to Win by Urban Lutzer, starts this way. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, I recognize that is a big portion of verses 1 and 2, but not is the entirety of the first two verses. But noticing that Lutzer starts every single broadcast in this manner and in this way by repeating this every time brings up a question, which is why? I mean, why would Lutzer start every broadcast in the same fashion with these words every day? Or maybe ask another way, is there any special significance to these words chosen by Lutzer? And the answer truly is yes, that there is much significance and meaning in not only the verses or the portion the Hebrew recites, but in all three verses that we've read together this morning, there's much great significance in that. So with that then, let us unravel the meaning and significance, and we begin in verse 1 with the phrase, a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these great cloud of witnesses? Well, the answer is that the great cloud of witnesses that Luther begins his broadcast with, or that the author of Hebrews starts chapter 12 with, is the Old Testament saints referred to in the previous chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, which you've ever read Hebrews, you'd know is considered to be the faith chapter. If you've ever read any portion of Hebrews chapter 11, then you know it is indeed the faith chapter as it begins to read as the faith hall of fame. Or maybe you could label it the who's who of faith. Because the list of individuals mentioned throughout that chapter in chapter 11 of Hebrews is greatly impressive. It is people like this, Noah, or Enoch, Abel, Abraham, Moses, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, and there's many, many more. I mean, that's just a portion of what is listed in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a very impressive list of Old Testament saints. A list of saints that display in their life enlisted there because they had great faithfulness. But it is also a list that can encourage each and every one of us to keep our faith. Now, as you hear that, you may be pondering, well, how can such a great list of people who exemplify faith encourage us to keep our faith? And the answer to that question is that most, 
if not all these people you may see listed behind me, or in Hebrews chapter 11, at one time in their life were like me and you, where they struggled through certain life events, thereby also uh, uh, actually testing their faith. So they've had all their faith to be tested, as many of them are through life struggles. Let's just take a few for example. Look at the list. Noah. Noah, who was told to build an impressive boat, I mean an ark, when there was never any rain at that time. You think he wasn't mocked and ridiculed and struggled a little bit with the attempt to build a boat when he'd never seen such rain? How about Abraham? Abraham. There's a classic example of a man who struggled. Abraham struggled so much at times in life that he lied about his wife being his sister to protect himself. Of course, there is Sarah herself who was troubled by being barren. So much so was she troubled and struggled with being barren that she gave up her maidservant to her husband. Or Jacob, who had multiple. We could go on and on about all the issues with Jacob. And he was a deceiver, is a manipulator. He stole the family from, uh, from Esau, the, the inheritance from his brother. There's a lot of things we could talk about with Jacob, and as with Joseph. I mean, Joseph had a lot of things to happen in his life. He was an arrogant little teenager who had this special coat, and he paraded in front of his brothers. Because of that, he was thrown into a pit. He was sold to the Ishmaelites, later placed in prison. So, yeah, he had struggles too. A list of people who had great faith, but a list of people who had struggles in their life that can also encourage us because we know then that we are not alone. I mean, all that means, as we look at the list and consider what's happening to all these Old Testament saints, the great cloud of witnesses, it means that we struggle in daily life, but we are not alone with our struggle. And then our test of faith that begins to happen to us when things evolve into life. I mean, it's so easy for us to think that we're the only ones who have any kind of daily, weekly, monthly, or even yearly struggles in life. We live in a big, huge world. And we often take this big, huge world we're living in and just narrow it down to just ourselves. And then we begin to think that we have problems and, and we have struggles, that we're the only one facing a particular crisis in life. But in reality, we're not the only people who may be having a crisis or who may be struggling at some juncture in life. We're not the only people with problems and struggling with what we face. And it seems like recently in our times we've been sharing together, I've been referring to this pandemic, so much so in recent leaks. I mean, it keeps coming over and over and over again. We know it's taking up a majority of the discussion and the news for the entire year. We, we know it's hurt people financially. There's been job loss. There's been sicknesses. There's even been death. So we keep talking about this pandemic and the effects. But the pandemic is also, without many people recognizing it, with their struggles that they're having, had an increase in people who have depression. Depression is one of the most common ailments in our society. 
I looked up some information from the World Health Organization. And the World Health Organization reports that 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression. The site stated, it is a leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the certain sickness and disease. It often is a result of being diagnosed with a certain illness. Now, the site also stated, for whatever reason, it did not disclose, but it's found that women battle depression much more than men. And depression, at its very worst, can cause someone to contemplate suicide. Some horrible thoughts to even have any time of the year, but particularly during the holidays. But the pandemic has increased people who are depressed just upon life as it begins to happen. So some depression is very widespread and is introduced in life to people through many different avenues and circumstances as it happens. But the point is this, as horrible as it is to have depression to set in, we need to recognize that we're not alone. I mean, and when you have depression, I've been through some mild depression, when that begins to happen, you certainly feel alone. But in reality, we are not alone, and we're not the first to struggle with depression or any other ailment that may come in life. And I bring that up because that's what the author is trying to convey here in the beginning of chapter 12. I mean, he's not singling out depression, no. But he's trying to bring to the audience that they're facing struggles. As they're facing struggles, they have this great cloud of witnesses which can help them because the great cloud of witnesses has also been through many daily struggles. He's trying to tell them, look, you're not alone. You're facing the crisis. You're facing the problem. You're, you're going through a struggle in life. Yeah, it happens, but you're not alone. You have a great cloud of witnesses also experienced something in their life. Their faith has been tested. They endured. They overcome. But think about this. It's not just a great cloud of witnesses. Yeah, the author of Hebrews refers to that as in trying to encourage his readers to recognize they're not alone through this great cloud of witnesses. But I begin to think even further, it's not just a great cloud of witnesses who have had struggles in their life. Think about this. Even Jesus faced struggles in his life. I mean, just to clarify, I'm not suggesting in any way that Jesus had any kind of depression. No, no, no. But Scripture reveals to us that he did have some struggles. I mean, the classic example maybe is to consider his prayer at Gethsemane. When Jesus knew that his time was near, he prayed for the Father's will. More specifically, he prayed for the Father to remove this cup from me. Matthew records the Lord's struggle. In Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Luke records the result of the struggle in Luke chapter 20, verse 44. It says, and being in agony, he, that's Jesus, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I know it's hard for us to fathom and to think about Jesus having struggles. But yeah, our Lord faced struggles and things that occur in life. 
But as we recognize the fact that he must have had some struggles, we also must recognize the fact of what he did. What he do when he had a struggle? What did he do? Well, he yes, he prayed, but recognize that he kept the faith and fully surrendered to the will of the Father. So it tells us this: that we are blessed. We're very blessed to have a Savior. Upon the season that we celebrate, we're very blessed to have a Savior born into the world. We call him Lord. We call him King. And that keeps the Father's will during the struggle. He sets an example for us. Now, the Old Testament saints are indeed a great cloud of witnesses and are helpful. The author refers to them. But we also recognize that we have Jesus who endured the shame, humiliation associated with the cross, as verse 2 reminds us, who also then endured the hostility towards him, recognized in verse 3 of the text we read today. So yes, we're blessed to have a Savior born into this world that we celebrate this time each year that keeps the Father's will through enduring a struggle. And because of that, it encourages us then to keep going. No matter what may be happening, we must endure, overcome, and remain steadfast in our faith. It is the faith we have in Jesus that carries us through the most difficult times in our life and the struggles that we face. So then in Hebrews chapter 12, essentially what the author is trying to do here is encourage his readers. He refers to the great cloud of witnesses. As much more so, we see also Jesus. But we recognize the fact that they need encouragement. I mean, as we so often see in Scripture, the believers receiving this letter are facing persecution. We see that all so often that they're being struck, that their struggles and, and they're, they're, they're being tested because they're facing such persecution in life. So not only then does the author recognize that they're facing persecution by letting them know to be encouraged by these witnesses in the in previous chapter, he also then goes further in verse 1 and tells them to run the race, which is our next phrase we need to examine in verse 1. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now a couple of things to observe here so we take a quick time out. Number one is this. What race? What race is he possibly referring to? Is it literal or is it figurative? And the answer is it's not literally a race. I mean, it's not like I'm getting all the birthday people up here, John and Lori and myself, and say, okay, we're going to run the race against this all the way to the end of the wall. Of course, if I was racing against John and Lori, who do you think would win, really? I think Lori would win. Now, John just turned 83, so maybe he is better fit than any of us. So maybe John would win the race. But he's not referring to a race as in thinking about a race. Or he's not talking about a race. Caleb and I like to go to dirt track racing. He's not talking about a race in which you see these cars go around the track. He's not literally talking about a race. He's figuratively talking about a race that exists for us as Christians. As believers, we face many, many challenges through life. Most of us are not being persecuted like maybe it's happening to these group of believers he's writing to, to his audience. But we recognize in our day that we're going to have a lot of challenges. Life's a journey. As a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we're going to have a lot of 
faith at times be tested. So it's a race in that sense. Not necessarily of survival, but a race of our faith as being tested. That's the first thing to observe. But secondly, notice this then. That the author puts himself in the mix. In verse 2, he says, let us, let us. He puts himself with the believers. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's putting himself in an equation. He's recognizing that he also knows what it's like to have struggles and to be discouraged. So he invites his readers, including himself, to push through the struggle. In essence, he's saying, exercise faithfulness and win. He basically puts himself in the context of the big picture in life and says, we must all, all of us, we must all continue the fight each and every day. We must all endure the race that exists in life as a believer. Endure. Maybe that's the key word, endure. We must endure things as they come in life. Because we know, having lived life to a certain point already, we're going to have our faith to be tested. We're going to have struggles. So the right word really is endure. So a funny thing then about the word endure is that it really, if you boil it down to a simple definition, it means we never give up. To endure means you never give up. John MacArthur actually describes it this way. He says endure. A steady determination to keep going. It means continue when everything in you wants to slow down or give up. So when it comes to our Christian lives, to our faith, it is certainly the right word to use. We must endure. In fact, I thought about an illustration that takes me back a couple of years ago. I've used this illustration once before, but I had forgotten about it. So I had to look it back up of a woman who greatly endured. Now, the woman's name you probably have never heard before. Her name is Miriam Abraham. Miriam Abraham, in 2014, was placed in the Sudani prison because she would not renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, by the name Miriam Abraham, you might figure out that she comes from a Muslim family. And as was Sudan law, that she must renounce her faith in Christ. And she refused to do so. So in 2014, they placed her into a prison in Sudan with the anticipation that eventually she would be paying for her crime of believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now listen, as she's placed in prison in Sudan in 2014, in chains, in May of that year, she gives birth. Can you imagine? She continues to not want to renounce her faith in Christ. So she gives birth while she's in prison in chains. She's a 27-year-old mother of two in 2018, still in prison. But miraculously, through prayer, through petition to the Sudan government, before she is about to be hung to death for her faith she has in Christ, 
miraculously she is released from prison. But she sets an example for all people to recognize that she endured all that happened to her in life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian. We have this great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. Miriam's not listed. But perhaps she should be. We had Jesus' example for all of us, and she saw Jesus as the example, and she knew that she had to endure. She was not about to renounce her faith in Christ. Throughout all the struggles she was going through, and not even seeing her children. She lived, John 16, 33. That says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We must endure. Endure is certainly the right word to be used as a Christian when it comes to our faith. So with that, all the discussion pertaining to verse 1 and, and enduring, we can sum all of that up by saying this then. The Christian, you and me as believers, we have one way to endure, and that's by our faith. It is only our faith in Jesus Christ that would carry us through the most difficult storms in life. The daily struggles we must endure by faith. The author recognizes this and is using his Old Testament saints to help encourage them. But Jesus sets the example for each and every one of us. He certainly did for Miriam Abraham. As we recognize that then, the best way to endure and to keep the faith is to go back to the text because verse 2 and 3 tells us how. To endure, to keep the faith is to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 2 and 3 tells us how he must endure. and gives us again Jesus as the example. Now Hebrews chapter 12 verses 2 and 3, I'm going to suggest to you, is the most underrated verses in the entire Bible. Not underrated in application to the circumstances, no. But rather underrated because they're often not spoken. They're often not emphasized enough in life. We've already alluded to how the verses can tell us that we need to endure and how we can use Jesus and the Old Testament saints as an example. But these verses are rich. They are precious. They are greatly meaningful. And everyone should commit them to memory. I mean, look at them once more and just kind of read through it with me. Look first, it says, of course, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of faith. But then what do you see for the what? For the what? The joy. I mean, Jesus had joy as he went to the cross, being humiliated and shamed for every one of us. For the struggles that he encountered at the cross, he finds that joy. Is to consider him who endured from sinners hostility. We are going to face some hostility in our lives for being a believer. Maybe we yet not have faced it, but at some point, in our life, as our faith is tested and we proclaim the good news of Christ, we may face some hostility. Jesus certainly faced hostility. So if you look at these verses, just kind of looking at them from whatever level you are, 
Notice that they are synopsis of Jesus' life. They're a snapshot of his very life. We are coming into emphasizing today the season that celebrates Jesus' birth. But then recognize this. After we go through the next 26 days preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus, and even for the parties and the things that's changing gifts, all that's going to happen in the next 26 days for most people. After that, we then quickly, we celebrate Christmas, then we quickly fast forward, accelerate a few months, and begin to celebrate the resurrection of Easter. We come out of Christmas ready for the new year and fast forward straight to March or April whenever Easter happens to be on the calendar and we begin again to celebrate the resurrection that Christ has risen. Barely recognizing the fact that he went to the cross. It was a shameful, humiliating endeavor. We don't recognize the sacrifice and humiliation, the, the anguish that he must have endured on the cross. Because that's sometimes the case, the author of Hebrews then, as you look at these two rich, powerful verses, says, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down. Because you need to remember the Savior took upon himself all of humanity's sin and then had the shame and humiliation, and the beatings, and the mocking. He did all that, and he endured. So often we think about Jesus, the Christmas season, his life. We fail to recognize these things, and we think that what Jesus did in his life, that was fantastic. But you really look at Jesus' life, it was not a casual walk in the park. Certainly not a picnic. It was hard. It's not easy taking on all of humanity's sin. So yes, we should properly consider verses 2 and 3 because they are extremely powerful and they can offer all new kind of perspective for all of us. I mean, when I personally read verses 2 and 3 or Hebrews chapter 12, the entire chapter helps me put things in perspective. If you will, for me, it reminds me that the problems what I face in life are petty. I mean, considering what Jesus had to endure, my problems really are petty. Because Jesus faced a lot of suffering in life. He was indeed a suffering servant. So that as I dare compare myself to his life, I fall extremely short in what I've had to endure. You know, we compare a lot of times things in life to one another. We compare things like cars, and homes, and clothing, even a particular sickness. Maybe an ability we have or don't have or education. We can even compare ourselves and endurance to somebody else. But the point is this. In all things in life that truly matters, there is never any better witness or example or to compare ourselves to, than Jesus. We should always compare ourselves to Jesus because he is the example. You know, even furthermore, when we begin to truly appreciate the life that Jesus lived, it should motivate us to live strong. When we truly examine his life, it should motivate us to endure and to live strong. 
Now, you may recognize those two words, Livestrong, because for so many years, Lance Armstrong, who was a cyclist, he sold bracelets and T-shirts and hats and all kinds of different things that had those two words on there, Livestrong. In case you don't know Lance Armstrong, he was a man who won the Tour de France seven different times. A cycling event that tests every bit of muscle memory in your entire body. My son Tyler bicycled from Mount Pleasant, Texas to Oregon in 32 days. He could not compete in the Tour de France because it's much more than that. I mean, if we think that's a long journey, thousands of miles is much different for the people who are competing in the Tour de France because they must endure. They must prepare themselves for over 2,300-mile journey in 23 days. That's over 770 miles per day. And then we'll get two days of rest in doing this. So Lance Armstrong not only won the event a record number of times, which makes him infamous, but the live strong comes from the fact that he did it while battling cancer. So yes, he began to promote live strong. Well, here's the thing. As much as Lance Armstrong may have live strong, he did nothing compared to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus is lived strong personified. Because Jesus demonstrates that we can endure all things that happens to us in life. When you begin to recognize this moment and begin to slow down and reflect upon Jesus' life, you begin to recognize that he did not. Lance Armstrong lived strong for his self, for himself for the pleasure of his own gain. But Jesus did not. He began to live strong and endure all things that happened to him for me and for you. Jesus did not run the race or endure the beatings, the mocking in life when he's on the cross for himself or his gain. He did it all for me and for you. Last Monday, Sheila began a new job. She's not working at Evansville no more, not the iGroup anymore. She transitioned away from the iGroup and is now working in Princeton for Edward Jones. And she started that job last Monday. But as she was preparing to leave the place and she'd been working with for four years in Evansville, I mean, she had decorative wall plaques and pictures and things. And she had to take all that down. And as she took it down, she brought it to the house. And now at the house, she has these pictures, these plaques. She's had in her office in Evansville that she hasn't yet placed into the office in Princeton. So they're sitting at the house, and I was walking through this week, and I noticed on the dining room shelf one plaque in particular. Now, yeah, this is this whole process of preparing for the messages in my mind, but I recognize this plaque, and it says, when Christ was on the cross, I was on his mind. Jesus did not go through and endure all the suffering in life, the humiliation and shame for his own personal gain. He did it for me and he did it for you. When he was on the cross, he had every one of us in his mind. He did not run the race. He did not endure the beatings and the shame and humiliation for himself. He did it for you and he did it for me. And that deserves 
I mean, verse 2 and 3, particularly verse 2, refers to how Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he deserves to be there. That is the seat of honor. And it's exactly what our Lord deserves. As he endured all things in his life, not for himself, but for you and for me. As we mentioned earlier, Christmas is quickly approaching. A mere four weeks and some change or whatever way. But as the day approaches, I recognize how some will see, well, it's just another day. Christmas is just another day in this world. But it isn't. Christmas is not just another day. It is the day we set aside to recognize the birth of our Lord and Savior, the King of Kings who endured all the shame, the suffering, the ridicule, the mocking he ever had to face. He endured it all. It is the day set aside in which the Son of God came into the world knowing his purpose. His purpose was to take our sin so that we could establish ourselves righteous to the Father. Yes, Jesus ran the race. He endured all things for the glory of his Father and for us. Again, we are so blessed to have a Savior, perfect in every way, born into this time that we celebrate each year. So it tells us in our first of four messages we have coming up about preparing our hearts for Jesus and this day, that today is the right day to begin to prepare our hearts for the celebration that our Lord deserves. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message and this time together. We thank you for this reminder in whatever way it's presented to us that Jesus endured life and he found joy going to the cross for us. What a great reminder that is, Lord, for all of us today as I recognize that every one of us will face a crisis and face a struggle. Even here today, Lord, we're facing a crisis, whether it's the pandemic or some other crisis, Lord, right now we're confronted with. In fact, it's been said that we're either coming out of a crisis in the midst of a crisis or going into a crisis. Lord, we, they're all around us. So I pray right now for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, for my family. I pray for all of them right now, Lord, to recognize that we can endure. We have Jesus as example, and we are here for one another. So thank you for this message today, and thank you for allowing us to hear it and prepare our hearts now to celebrate the birth of our King. Thank you, Lord, for taking our sin and the suffering that we should receive. You're perfect in every way. You set the example for all of us. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.